One of our strategic mission partners for over 40 years, over 100 years, has been the International Mission Board. And at Christmas time, we invite you to give a gift to the missionaries. So we participate with 40,000 other Southern Baptist churches in supporting these missionaries that serve in international areas of the world. And so as you go through this month, we invite you to participate, to pray about, and to pray for our missionaries. Uh, there are some envelopes that look like this that are in the seat in front of you. Uh, we ask that this be kind of an above and beyond type gift specifically for the missionaries. And so if you would like to participate in that, you can place a gift in one of these envelopes. And then there's a little mailbox at the back of the church. It has red and white lines on it. You can place it in that. Uh, or you can place it in the offering plate as well. And that all goes towards helping missionaries who are serving overseas. If you have your Bible, open it up. Turn it on. Let's go to John chapter 1 today. John chapter 1. We began a new series of messages last week called Advent. And so let's review just a little bit as to what does the word Advent mean? It comes from a Latin word, Adventus. It means to come. And as Christians, our Christian, in our Christian calendar, Advent are, is represented by the four Sundays that are leading up to Christmas where we wait, when we wait for Christmas to come. And during that time, Christians are challenged to pray, to fast, and to anticipate the coming of the Lord. There are four themes that go along with the Advent season. Hope, uh, hope, love, joy, and peace. And so we are looking at those four themes over the course of this month. Now, interestingly enough, interestingly as well, in ancient Rome, Adventus was a proper noun. It was a technical term that was used for the arrival of the king or the arrival of the emperor into the capital city. And so when they had an Adventus, it meant the king has come. If you go back into biblical days before Christ was born in Bethlehem, when, they thought, when we think of Advent, it is awaiting the birth of the Messiah to come. The Son of Man who would uh, reclaim our hearts, who would heal our hearts and bring salvation near. They were anticipating His com coming. Today, we as Christians remember that Christ came to Bethlehem. And that propels us forward to remember that one day He's coming again. And when Christ comes again, it will be an Adventus. He will come as the victorious king into his capital city to claim his throne. And so in these weeks that are leading up to Christmas, we are looking at the Advent season and talking about hope. Today we talk about love. Next week, joy. And then on Christmas Eve, we will talk about peace. Let's talk about love. Love is foundational to all meaningful relationships. The Bible goes so far as to say God is love. Now think about that for a second. God is love. That's a pretty strong statement to say about God. Now you need to make sure that you understand this. God defines for us what true love is. We don't manufacture an idea of love and then define God. God shows us, He represents for us what love is. Now do we all agree that Christmas 
is to be a season in which love is demonstrated. Do we all agree on that? If you agree on that, let's wake ourselves up a little bit just by clapping here. And uh, yeah, all right. We had a video, we had a slow song, everybody's got to get going a little bit here, okay? Yet for, for many Christians, we, for many of us, this Christmas season we'll wear our ugly sweaters, we'll exchange socks and gift cards, we'll eat gingerbread cookies, drink eggnog, which I still maintain looks like pancake batter. Yeah. But we won't exchange much love. One of our members shared a meme this week on Facebook that caught my attention. It just said this. It said, some families don't need to exchange gifts for Christmas. They need to settle old disputes, make peace, forgive, seek unity, and heal. That's the real gift. And that hit me. I was just like, wow, that, that is so true. Because in life, relationships break down when love breaks down. Let's talk about three questions that people ask when it comes to loving relationships. Number one, can I trust you? Two, are you committed? Three, do you care? The football coach Lou Holtz said that before his players would follow him into a football game and they would follow before they would follow his leadership they needed to know that they could trust him that he was committed to them and that he genuinely cared about them as human beings and if you want to heal broken relationships and to enjoy meaningful relationships the people in your life need to know that they can trust you that you're committed to having a strong relationship with them and that you genuinely care not just about yourself, but you care about them as well. Now, as I was pondering that, I began to think, you know, we, we ask these questions about God as well. And usually we kind of quietly ask them, can I trust God? Is God really committed? Does God care? And I think the Advent story answers each of these questions with an emphatic yes. Let's look at John chapter 1 today. Uh, we're going to begin with John 1, 1 through 5, and then we will look at verse 9. Go ahead and try to have a copy of the scriptures with you when you come to church so that you can follow along and make notes. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we do have the verses on the screen behind me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome. And then go down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. A few years ago, my daughter McKenna, she's down here in the front row at the time. McKenna, you were just, you were just a little bitty one. Uh, you were probably four or five years of, old, of age. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. <laughs> and we were at one of those hotel swimming pools. And so she was just learning how to swim. And I remember she came out there. She had her little floaties on. 
she had her little goggles on, and, and I was trying to get her to jump into the pool. So I was, I was in the pool, and she was on the side of the pool, and I was like, it's okay, McKenna, you can jump. You guys have had that experience, haven't you? Yeah, and so she was over there, you know, goggles and snorkel and everything, and she was, you know, you know your, your legs just don't, don't go with you. I was like, it's okay, you, you can jump. And finally, she jumped in, and I was able to catch her in my arms. Now, could you imagine if I were to say, hey, hey, you can jump, you can trust me, jump into my arms, okay? And, and, and she were to take her jump, and then I were to go, whoa, whoa, time for you to learn to swim on your own now, kid. I mean, that would ruin the Father of the Year trophy, wouldn't it? Well, the Scriptures remind us here that our Father was there in the beginning, that He loves us, that He created us in His image, that God cares. And when we ask this question, God, do you care? He says, yes, I care. I am your Father. I have been with you since the beginning. Make sure you catch this. Jesus didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. John chapter 1, in many ways, is Genesis 1 in the New Testament. And as John goes back to the beginning of the time, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now in John 1, the Word is not referring to the Scriptures. We hold the Scriptures in the highest of, of regard but it's referring to Jesus Christ, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, the Son of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. He was there in the beginning. You are also not an evolution of randomness. John 1 makes a point to say that all things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created. You're not just a cosmic accident. You were created with intentionality, on purpose, by a loving Heavenly Father. And your life is a gift from God. The Scriptures say life was in Him. He breathed life into you and into me. Life was in Him, and that life was the light of men, lighting our path so that we might in all of our ways acknowledge Him, and He might direct our paths. You can trust God. He is a loving, heavenly Father who created your life to have meaning, purpose, and impact. He walks with you, and He takes care of you. He's with you during the difficult times, and He's with you during the happy times. You can trust Him. He's not going to say, hey, jump, 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 I'll take care of you. Oh, oh. <laughs> Good luck with that. Let's talk about trust for a moment. Trust is vital to relationships. In any relationship, trust is a must. If you're going to have a healthy relationship with your children, there has to be trust there. Healthy relationship with your spouse. If we as a church are going to have healthy relationships with one another, we must have trust. We must have, they are, it is the foundation upon which love and respect are built. So what are some of the ingredients of trust? Because we've probably all experienced this, that when trust breaks down, what happens to relationships? They break down. 
So let's take the word trust and let's talk for a moment about some of the ingredients of trust in a relationship. Now I'm coming at this from a Christian perspective and so the initial thing that I put here with T is three. That in a Christian relationship, it's not just me and another person walking life together, but we are walking life together with God. And so I am trusting in a Christian relationship that you are walking with God, that He's speaking to you, that you are drawing near to Him, and you are trusting that I'm walking with God. And so when we're both walking to God together, it allows us to be iron that sharpens iron. It allows us to strengthen one another because it's not just the two of us in this relationship, but it's the two of us and God. And whenever we're both walking with the Lord, it begins to establish trust in that relationship. R, respect. If you're going to have healthy relationships in your life, you have to learn to respect each other's boundaries. Respect one another's dignity. Be respectful in the way that you talk to another person. The way that you talk about another person. Are you being respectful in your relationships? Disrespect erodes trust. You, understanding. Trust demands that I am able to be empathetic. That I am able to get behind another person's eyes. And try, and I know sometimes, you, sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard to see life through another person's eyes sometimes, isn't it? But part of trust is that we make an attempt to be compassionate and to see life from their perspective. S, security. Loving relationships place us in a vulnerable position. When you engage in a loving relationship on any level with someone, you are giving your heart to another person. You are trusting one another with your heart. When we say to someone, I love you, in essence, you're saying, I I'm trusting you with a part of my heart. I'm opening up my life, my heart to you. And that's why it is so important that you be a safe place for each other to hold one another's heart in confidence. That there is security in your relationships. And then the last T, truth. Loving relationships demand honesty. Honesty in our speech and honesty in our conduct. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to live it out. And then also, I would say this. Loving relationships that are grounded in trust also require that you are honest with yourself. You can't portray a false you forever. The people that get close to you, the people that know you well, they begin to see the real you. After a while, it comes out. And if the real you is not a trustworthy person, you're going to float from relationship to relationship. You're going to float probably from job to job. You may even float from church to church, and you're always going to wonder, what's wrong with everybody? What's wrong with everyone else? Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and also swim deep and look for the authentic you because you have something to contribute. You are not an accident. 
God designed you on purpose for a purpose. And you, we need you present. We need you. We don't need a masked you, a, a pretend you. We need you because God created you to live in loving relationships for his glory. Five years ago, I was able to go on one of my dream hikes. I enjoy a great vacation for me is going to a place where there is nature and no people. That's a great vacation for me. And so I got to go to the Wonderland Trail, which is a 70-mile uh, trail that runs around Mount Rainier up in Washington. I didn't get to do the whole trail. I'm not that fit. But uh, you're like, really? I couldn't tell. Anyway, uh, but uh, but uh, I got to do a portion of it. Now, when we got there, here was the biggest challenge. It was about 30 to 40 degrees outside, and it was wet, and we were sleeping in tents. So that first night we were there, it was raining and raining and raining. It was cold. While we were putting up our tents, it was raining on us, so you got into your tent, and you were already cold. I was a long ways away from the great republic of Texas, this wonderful holy land that we call Texas. I was sleeping on the ground. We were eating out of bags. And I remember there was a moment that first night as I was shivering in the tent where I thought to myself, how committed am I to this? Is this really worth it? If you think about commitment, it always requires that you go through some measure of discomfort. If you're committed to financial health in your life, if you're committed to good, solid principles of saving and investing and giving, if you're committed to that, it's going to require that you go through some discomfort in the short term. You're going to have to say no to some of those impulse buys. You're going to have to say no to some of the things that you might want to do today in order to say yes to the long term. If you're committed to physical health, to being the specimen that you have been created to be, you're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to take the eye out of pie, right? Uh, you're going to have to back away from some stuff, and you're going to have to exercise, and you're going to have to do some things to keep your body strong and fit in order to have physical health. You have to go through some type of a measure of discomfort. Same thing's true in your spiritual health. In order for you to have spiritual health, there's going to be seasons where you have to wait on God's timing. You have to keep pressing forward, even though it's difficult. Persevere through the trial as God grows you to realize that life is not happening to you. It's happening for you so that God may use you and your story may be a part of his story. Spiritual health is going to take you through seasons that are not always comfortable. When God calls you to something, it always creates within us a crisis of faith. Am I going to back away or am I going to persevere and trust God that he can take care of the situation? The scripture says in verse 9, the true light came into the world. And then look at verse 12. Here is what we call the incarnation. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. You break down that phrase, it actually has to do with the word Jesus 
tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us so that we saw the word in flesh and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only so from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus leaves his heavenly home. He crosses the cosmos. He takes on flesh. He pitches his tent and lives among us. And picture the Son of God, the one who hung the stars in the heavens, as we saw earlier in the passage, this almighty creator who was there at the beginning, who has known you before you were ever born, who sustains all things by his powerful name, takes on flesh and takes on the body of a baby and is laid in a feeding trough, shivering in the cold. Just let that image come to your mind for a second. The God of the universe intervenes into our scene so that we might be redeemed and the God of the universe is lying in a manger, in a feeding trough. Tim Hawkins, the Christian comedian, says that sometimes our Christmas songs are a little bit ironic. And he points out that one song, A child, a child, shivering in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket and some soup, you know? I mean, the poor baby's lying in the cold, shivering, and you're going to bring them silver and gold at that point? I get it, I get it. But when you see the baby lying in the manger, you cannot deny that God is absolutely committed to his plan. And if you have any lingering doubts, look to the cross. Look to the cross. And there you see love demonstrated. You say, okay, I know I can trust God because he's my father. I know, I can, I know that God is committed because he sent his son. The final question, does God care about me? Does he care about me? Man, maybe he cares about some people in this room, but does he care about me? Well, verse 9 says this word, says this. The true light who gives light to, fill in the blank for me there, everyone was coming into the world. Everyone, if you go into the Greek language, that word is pas, and it means each, every, any, all, the whole. Everyone may also refer to people groups. So everyone could refer to the Jewish people, but not just the Jewish people. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So it also could refer to the Gentile people. It can refer to Americans. It can refer to Asians. It can refer to Europeans. It can even refer to North Poleans. The true light who gives, I guess somebody lives up there. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What did God do? He shined the, lightness, the light into the darkness for everyone. Think of the shepherds in the field. Now, the shepherds in the field, within the Christmas story, they represent Jewish poverty. They were Jewish, and they were poor. And so you think of these shepherds out in the middle of the field at night, 
working on Christmas. Thanks, Mary got it. (laughs) And in my mind, I, I picture that they're pretty bored. They have a little fire. Maybe they're surfing their cell phones a little bit, you know, waiting for sunrise. There's Shepherd Isaiah. He, he had a good career going, and then he got laid off at Jerusalem Instruments, and the only work that he could find was shepherding. There was Elijah. He was a high school football star, but he blew out his knee in the state championship game, and so he wound up going to Bethlehem Community College, and one thing led to another. Now he's a shepherd. There's Uncle Cy. He used to be a Roman soldier with Julius Caesar, but now he just drinks tea and watches sheep. And so you have all these shepherds, you have these shepherds out there. And then suddenly into the scene is the glory of God. And the light shines into the darkness. And the light shined, and the and light shine, the light came around them and proclaimed good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Why? Because the light was not just for the rich. It wasn't just for those that might be near to the temple. It was also for the shepherds out in the fields that nobody was thinking of. Think of the wise men. The wise men in the Christmas story represent the Gentile people. They were a long way away from God. The wise men hadn't grown up in the temple. They hadn't grown up with the things of the Lord. The wise men were probably into astrology. They may have even been into some black magic, maybe even Zoroastrianism. They in no way had all the answers, but God reached out to them, and the true light who gives light to every man was coming into the world, and the light shined into their darkness, and what did they do? They followed the light. They didn't have all the answers. In fact, when they got to Jerusalem, they had really kind of messed up. We might go into that story here in a couple weeks. They had really kind of messed up. But when they were asked what they were doing, they said, well, we've come to worship the king. We don't know all the answers, but we know this, that the light has shined into the darkness, and we are to worship him. You see, the light is for everyone, and that includes you. Question for you. If you had to put yourself in the nativity, I think we have a picture of the nativity here. This is exactly how it looked, too, by the way. Yeah, exactly. This this was actually a a real photo from the nativity. But if you had to place yourself into the nativity, um, which character would you be? Who do you relate the most with? Do you relate with Mary and Joseph? You're living right in the center of God's will. Do you relate with the shepherds? You say, I, I kind of feel like I'm on the outskirts, maybe kind of on the fringe, the outskirts of town, just trying to survive. Or maybe you relate with the wise men. I know the wise men were not at the actual nativity. Hold back, Bible theologians. But maybe you relate with the wise men. You say, Lash, I'm a long ways away from God. And I have a lot of questions. One of the great truths of Christmas is that the manger is for everyone. God cares so much out of his love, motivated by his love, he sends his son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Christianity begins with a step of faith. 
when we bow the knee, realizing that we are not God, that we need a Savior to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, and we bow the knee before the holy God, and we place our faith not in ourselves, but we place our faith in Christ, trusting in Him as our Savior and our Lord. And I invite you today, if there's never been that moment in your life where you took that initial step of faith, to take that step today to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Can I trust God? Yes. Is God committed? Yes. Does God care? Yes. He cares about you. And He calls you to step into the light and to trust Him, to jump, to place yourself in His arms. And whenever you take that leap of faith, He catches you and He holds you tight because you're safe in His hands, secure in Him for all eternity. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads? You guys have listened so well today. We come to a time of commitment And I want to invite you to respond to what we've heard today. Now, there are several ways for you to respond. If I can pray with you about anything, I will be here, right here at the front in the center. My wife is here with me, and we can pray with you about anything. Then we invite you to come forward and to talk to us, pray with us. Perhaps today is the day that you are... uh, wanting to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. And we would love to pray with you and to help you with that decision. Maybe you've been attending here for some time and you feel like the Lord is leading you to become a part of this church family and you would like to come and share that with me during this next song. We invite you to come and share. For some, I'm going to invite you to stand here in just a moment. And For some of you, you're going to want to stand and sing with the band, and, and that's good. I invite you to sing out. For others, you may want to spend this time in prayer. And so when others stand to sing, you may just want to remain seated in prayer and talk to the Lord. There are times in our Christian life where we need to seal the moment. And one of the ways that we can seal that moment is by taking a prayer walk and coming to the front and praying. You don't forget those moments where you walk to the altar and you pray and you talk to the Lord. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now and you just need to take that prayer walk. Pray here at the altar. If you're not physically able to kneel, you can come and just stand here at the altar and pray. But I just invite you to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I pray that you might bless them, speak to our hearts, help us, Lord, to be the people of God. And thank you, Lord that the light shined into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And thank you, Lord, that the light is for everyone. So help us, Lord, to trust in you and to take those leaps of faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. I invite you to pray. I invite you to respond as Christ leads you at this time as the musicians sing.